Hello, Christ Community Church. Hope you're doing well when you watch this video and that you're um, taking care of yourself to shelter in place and to be smart about how you're uh, operating during these very unusual days. I wanted to just give you a few things to um, know before we do the sermon. First of all, I want to just thank you for your patience and your encouragement. Just having to talk to a, um, a camera. I just finished the sermon and... Uh, I was preaching my heart out, and Will and Ty were the only two guys in the room, so it was uh, it's got a challenge to try to get that interaction from those two guys, but they did their best, and hopefully it'll be something that'll be helpful to you. And please don't hesitate to, to email uh, something or text something if... Uh, just that's the best way we can dialogue maybe right now is if there's something that God's putting on your heart from what we say, we'd love to hear back from you in any way. I personally would. Uh, secondly, I want to thank you for your continued giving. Uh, Christ Community Church has, has really eliminated all unnecessary expenses uh, from from now until uh, this thing is over. And so we're doing everything we can to crank things down. I know you all are doing everything you can to continue to be generous, and I just I really want to say thank you for doing that. Uh, finally, we're sending out emails, and hopefully you got this video in an email. But if you're not getting emails and somehow you're just only be able to connect through the, the website, please email or call the office. Uh, email Carly or call the office so she can get you on the email list because there's going to be a lot of resources coming up in the email. And I just want to mention two of those things today. First of all, on Thursday, we're going to do a Facebook Live event. So I'll be here and uh, you'll sign on live through Facebook, and we'll have I'll have some. We're going to call it Christ Community Church Congregational Meeting. So I'm going to give you some updates on things that we're doing or thinking about, and also be fielding your questions, which you can do on Facebook Live and try to answer your questions. And we'll be together Thursday at seven o'clock on Facebook. Secondly, uh, we're starting something that you need to sign up through the web. It's called Care and Connections. So you go to the main screen, you go under Ministry, and it says Care and Connection. And that is a time that you can uh, either put in a prayer request, a written prayer request, or you can request a 15-minute conversation with me. And so that's on a calendar. If that would be helpful to you, I'd love to listen to you, pray for you. And so we want to make sure we're available uh, to you. And we're going to try that out this week on Tuesday. But again, you need to go to the website, go to the ministry tab, click care and connection, and just follow the directions there. Thank you again for uh, persevering. And uh, thank you for all your encouragement. We are praying for you. We love you. And we'd love to hear from you in any way. Don't ever hesitate to call and enjoy the sermon. We are looking at the book of Second Samuel. And so if you'd find in your Bibles, 2 Samuel chapter 9, that's where we're going to be reading from this morning. And once you find that, turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 2 Samuel chapter 9, 1 Samuel chapter 20. And before we move forward, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come today, wherever we may be, sitting in our homes and we're asking for your divine presence. Just as you, you came through the walls of a home 2,000 years ago to frightened and huddled disciples, would you come through the walls of our home? 
Would you come through the walls of our heart? Would you help us to have open ears and open hearts to your words and to not be afraid? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know this period of social distancing, this now familiar term, is uniquely challenging and difficult. But I hope mixed in this uniquely challenging and difficult moment, you have had and experienced sweet moments. Uh, The first week we recorded the sermon uh, was several weeks ago now, and we record on a Saturday uh, morning. And so I was able to be at home on Sunday. And that particular weekend, my grandson Daniel was visiting. And so we were all able to sit down Sunday morning and uh, turn on granddad and watch granddad preach. And so that Sunday morning, my grandson was sitting in my lap and we turned on the television and I came on the television and he stared sort of curiously at the television. And then he turned and stared back at me and he said, look, granddad, it's granddad. He just couldn't quite figure out how these two things were happening at the same time. And it was a, it was a sweet moment. As many of you know, uh, Pearson and Carly, two people who work here at the church, had planned a beautiful wedding later in April. But last week when the governor uh, made his announcement about the shelter in place till uh, May 1st, they decided they'd rather shelter in place together rather than shelter in place apart. So they called me on a Friday, two Fridays ago, and said, hey, can we get married in 48 hours at the church? And so last Sunday, uh, we gathered here. Seven family members, a bride, a groom, and myself, so that made ten. And we had a great wedding. Carly got escorted down the aisle, very lonely aisle, to, to see her family, to see her groom. The, the staff, the Christ Community staff, were in the windows peering through. And really it was uh, not what they had hoped for, not what they had imagined, but It turned out to be really one of the sweetest weddings I've ever attended or been involved with. I'm guessing that all of you are watching the news like me, and uh, you're particularly noticing how the virus has had this devastating effect on New York City. And I hope you were able to watch last week when the the naval hospital ship sailed into uh, up the Hudson River and to anchor in New York City. This great big white hospital ship, it sailed past the Statue of Liberty and you could hear people cheering both from New York and New Jersey as this thing anchored in place to offer hope and comfort. The name of the ship is Comfort. And so it was a sweet moment. It was a sweet moment of hope. It was a sweet moment of, of comfort in the midst of all this chaos that's happening around the folks that live in New York City. Well, Second Samuel is a book of a lot of challenging and difficult life experiences. And it mixed in the middle of all these experiences is Chapter 9, this sweet moment. It's really one of the sweetest stories in the whole Bible. It's certainly my favorite chapter in this book. And it's a story that I think is intended to provide comfort and hope in the midst of chaotic times. Last week, you might remember, I asked this question. In the middle of all this uncertainty, in the middle of all this unrest, what is it we're supposed to do now? 
as Christians, what, what are we supposed to do right now, especially as we trust in the Lord? And I talked about three things. Uh, first, I talked about lament. That's from chapter 1. Uh, before David could become the king, he had to lament. He had to lament the loss of his best friend, Jonathan. He had to lament the loss of a dream. He and Jonathan had had a dream of ruling together, and that wasn't going to happen now. And so before David could move into the next frame, he had to sit in this frame for a length of time and just lament, just be sad about what's happened. And one of the important things that you notice in that lament is David's not trying to figure out what God's up to. He's not trying to come to some kind of neat conclusion that makes sense of all of it. He's just being sad. He's just allowing the the sorrow of his soul to pour out. And my hope and prayer for you and your lament, because we've all experienced losses, is not spend much time just trying to figure out what God's up to. Not spend much time trying to figure out or put it all in a neat package, just to lament, just to be sorry that the situation you're in is, is what you're in, and to let that sorrow pour, pour out of your soul like it did David's. The second point that we talked about last week was sit down, chapter 7. David had a great plan to serve God. He wanted to do something good for God, but God told him that what he needed from David right now was for David just to sit down. To, to not be active, to trust that God's in control of the situation. And I realize that for many of you, sitting down is not what you get to do during this crisis. You, you have kids at home, you have your, your spouse at home, and it's, it's a lot more chaotic than it was before. But for quite a few of us, it's been a unique opportunity to just sit and be quiet before the Lord. And it's actually much harder to sit down than you might imagine in a culture that thrives on being busy, even appearing to be busy. It's hard to sit down. And I've heard from many of you this week, it feels like God has just put you in a three-foot box. Every way you turn, every way you try to do something or serve or imagine something happen, God just puts up a boundary of some kind. And all you can do is just sit down to shelter in place. And for many of us, when things return to normal, God doesn't want to pick us to pick some things back up. What he's doing now, or what he's using this experience for now, for many of us, is just to say, hey, that thing, even that good thing that you were so consumed by, that you were doing, that took up a lot of your emotional energy and time, You can't do that now. And when this shelter in place is over, then I don't want you to pick it back up. And I wonder if you are listening, if you're paying attention and you're allowing this moment, God, to speak to you and say, hey, don't pick that up again. And if you think that I might be thinking or looking at you right now, then I probably am looking at you right now. What is it that God wants you to not pick up? Even a good thing that somehow has morphed into a God thing. And this space of four weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks, when you get back to normal, you're not going to pick it back up. 
The third point, which is our point for the sermon today, comes from chapter 9, and that is to glory in the gospel and to love your neighbor. So what are we supposed to be doing right now? We've got to have space to lament. We've got to, um, we've got to sit down. And then we've got to remind ourselves of the gospel. We've got to glory in the gospel. We've got to love the gospel at this moment. And we have to love our neighbor. So we're going to read chapter 9 here together and make some observations. Uh, David's kindness to Meshibbeth. David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a, certain, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amel, at Lo-Debar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Emil at Lo-Debar. And Meshibbeth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid, and paid homage. And David said, Meshibbeth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring him in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Meshibbeth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. And then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Meshibbeth ate at David's table like one of the king's son. And Meshibbeth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house came to Meshibbeth's servants. So Meshibbeth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. This is a sweet story of how the great and mighty King David treated the, the lame and the crippled Meshibbeth. Now I'm going to call him Bo from this point on. Uh, but Bo, he, he, his story actually begins earlier. This whole story of how David and, and Bo get together starts back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, which I want you to turn back with me and look at. Uh, you might remember that uh, Jonathan is David's best friend, and Jonathan is also the son of Saul. And Jonathan comes to David, and they're understanding that Saul, Jonathan's father, is dead set on killing David. And Jonathan promises in chapter 20 that he's going to do whatever he can to protect David. And just before they, they separate, these two great men who had forged this unbreakable friendship, Jonathan turns to David 
And he says this in verse 14. If I am still alive and afterwards, meaning afterwards all this chaos is over with my, with my dad trying to kill you. If I end up still alive, David, would you show me the steadfast love? That's a key word we'll come back to. Show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off from your steadfast love from my house. Do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. So this is a, this is a sweet moment. These, these two great friends, they, they sense that something, something difficult may be on the horizon here. And Jonathan is saying, we've made a covenant. We've made this bond. And the word he uses is steadfast love. In the Hebrew, Hebrew it's called hesed. It's the word you think of covenant love. It's a covenant commitment. It's, it's passion and promise together. It's a way of saying it, that even if my passion runs out for you, I promise I'm still going to be for you. I'm still going to come for you. I'm still going to protect. It's the, it's the kind of love that you would think of like in a marriage. Passion is going to go up and down, but the promise is going to be the bedrock of the relationship. And so they make this great promise. They make this great covenant one to another. And Jonathan says, even if I die, would you take care of my family? So now we're going to fast forward to Second Samuel in chapter 4. And Jonathan had a son. His name is Meshibatheth, or Bo, we're going to call him. And in chapter 4, Bo is five years old. And in this particular chapter... Uh, it's discovered that Saul and Jonathan have died in the same battle. And there was a nurse caring for a five-year-old Bo, and she made a quick decision to, to whisk Bo away and try to find a place of safety because she knew the next king who came to power would want to try to eliminate all the heirs to the throne. Anybody who might say, hey, that throne really belongs to me because I'm an heir of Saul... She understood that king would want to eliminate that person. So she whisked him away. And in chapter 4, verse 4, you read this very tragic verse. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, the news that they had died. And his nurse took, took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste... He fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Hmm. So terrible. Bo falls. He breaks his feet or his ankles. Something happens, and they don't get reset right, and so he's crippled. He's not able to walk for the rest of his life. And the nurse whisked him away actually to a town outside of the promised land, outside of Israel. They live east of the Jordan for the next 15 or 20 years. Now we come to our passage this morning of chapter 9. 
David has clearly established himself as king, and for some reason we don't know, he's walking around one day and thinks of this covenant promise that he had made with Jonathan. And he decides to ask, hey, is there anybody out there that's related to Jonathan or Saul that I can show God's kindness to? And you see that in verse 1. Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I can show the kindness for Jonathan's sake? And he finds out there actually is a man that's still alive. It's one of Jonathan's sons, and his name is Bo. And so David says, hey, send a detachment of soldiers to go get Bo and bring him back to me. Now, now I want you to try to imagine for a moment what it feels like to be Bo. You're, You're in your house, and David's soldiers walk in and say, hey, we need you to take you back to the king. Now, Bo knows he, he's connected to the house of Saul. He's part of the enemy clan. He's the one who might try to take power away from David. So Bo has to be saying in his mind, hey, it's over for me. And you know he feels that way because here in chapter 9 in verse 6 and 7, you see, his, you see the way he reacts. He falls down on his face. He's, he's paying homage to the king. Bo, the very first words he hears from David is, do not be afraid. You're in the presence of the king, and I want to make sure before anything else gets said, is don't be afraid. Bo, in his wildest dreams, could have never imagined that he was being brought before the king to be loved, not eliminated. And I want you to notice that this is a completely different kind of king than, than Bo could imagine. David is displaying, it says in verse 3, he's actually displaying the kindness of God. The, the hesed, this is the same word as steadfast love. This steadfast love that Jonathan and David had promised each other, this passion and promise that go together, David is now displaying that to to Bo. David's not showing kindness to Bo because of anything Bo has done. David's not showing kindness to Bo because Bo has anything to offer. Bo doesn't have anything to offer. David is showing kindness to Bo because of David's covenant promise. Way back in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And did you pay attention to the, to the three things that David promises Bo. Again, try to imagine putting yourself in Bo's place and hearing these things. Now, I want you to think, how, how do you physically react when you hear unbelievably great news? You can look around in your room and say, how, how do you react to that? Well, I just, I react like shaking my hands, my hands up, shaking my hands like I can't believe it. And that's how I imagine Bo just sort of crumpled in a pile on the floor that's how I imagine him at this particular point. Three things. First, David says, I'm going to shower you with the kindness of God. What? Second, I will restore all the land that Saul owned. All, all the wealth, all the position, all the land that he had. Bo, it's yours. There, there's no way you could possibly earn it back. I'm not asking you to earn it back. I'm going to give it to you. Number three, Bo, you'll eat at my table always. 
In fact, you're going to be like one of the king's sons. <laughs> what? This is, this is incredible. Bo knows he's undeserving. Verse 8, he says, what am I that you would show, show regard to me? I'm just a dead dog. Bo's, Bo's shaking his head. I get your kindness. I get your wealth. I get my position back. I get treated like a son. You're coming towards me in love, not to eliminate me. This is amazing grace by a mighty king. Now, with this in mind, this is the story. With this in mind, let's try to circle back to our question. What are we supposed to do now? And my third answer to this question is, one, you should glory in the gospel. Yes, you're going to have moments of lament. Yes, you're going to be asked to sit down. But while that's happening, you need to be reminded of the gospel. You should always glory in the gospel, but especially when times are turbulent, when there's a great deal of uncertainty, when the world gets turned upside down, you've got to be reminded of the sweet, the sweet, sweet truth of the gospel. When there's chaos and uncertainty, you've got to be reminded of the the kindness and the character of the king. Knowing God's character is like a mighty fortress in a time of chaos. At the very end of the book, and you you don't have to turn there, it's in chapter 22, David writes a, a song. David loves to write songs, and he's near the end of his life, and he writes a song sort of reflecting back on his time with the Lord. And here's how he starts the song, very first verse. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. So if you're like David, if you know, if you know God is a fortress... That God is your fortress. If, if you know He's your deliverer, if you know He's your rock, He's your refuge in times of trouble, if you know that, that God's kindness is coming towards you right now, it's working on your behalf right now, if you know you're going to forever eat at the king's table, if you know that you're going to be treated like a son or daughter of God, then, then you can deal with the turbulence of our current circumstances. Why? Because you have, you have sheltered in place. You have, you have sheltered in place underneath the fortress of the love of God. I'm sure you were reminded of the sweet smell of the gospel in this story. In case you may have missed a point or two, let me just point you to them. Because of sin, we've all fallen. We're permanently crippled. We, we can't help ourselves. We, we have nothing to offer. We live outside of the promised land. We've, we've gotten disconnected from God. We require a king who seeks us out. We can't seek him out. He's got to come to us. When we encounter Jesus, he's nothing like we could have ever imagined. Even in our wildest dreams, he's not coming to eliminate us. He's coming to love us. And what's the very first thing 
Think about this. What's the very first thing that gets said in Luke chapter 2 when King Jesus enters the world in the, the incarnation? Remember what the angels say to the shepherds? Remember what the angels say to Mary? Very first words, don't be afraid. The king has come into the world. The king is coming into the world. You're going to meet him face to face. And the first thing I want you to know is you don't have to be afraid. He's a king like any other, not like, no, like no other king. He's, he's a king like you couldn't possibly imagine. He's a king coming, looking for people to love, not to eliminate. Praise God. And Jesus has come to show us the kindness of God. He's, he's pulling us out of spiritual poverty. He's restoring to us position and land and wealth. He calls us a son or daughter. We are, we're going to eat at his great banquet table forever. When, when you know that, when you see it, it's unbelievable. It, it's amazing. It's amazing grace. That's the gospel. That's the truth. That's the sweetest news in the whole world. That's the fortress that you have to be reminded of right now in the midst of this chaos. So what should we do right now? We've got to remember the gospel. Secondly, we have to love our neighbor. David's kindness to Bo isn't just a shadow of Jesus. It's also a mirror. It's a mirror that shows us how we're supposed to care for each other. We have been loved with an unconditional love by Jesus. And because that's filled up our soul now, we're supposed to act that same way to our neighbors. And notice it's, we're not supposed to, to show that kind of kindness to people who are capable or deserving. We're not showing that kind of kindness to people who are coming to us. We're not showing that kind of kindness to people who can give back. No, we're all called to, to move out and find crippled and lame people. And maybe that'll be physically, maybe that'll be emotionally because of this crisis of loneliness. Maybe it'll be financially because we've lost our jobs. Maybe it'll be relationally. But we're all here to find people that we can, can move alongside and show the kindness of God. In the 4th century, uh, the Christians had to live through a time of great plague in the Roman Empire. And many historians consider this a, a turning point for Christianity. The, the plague <coughs> offered an incredible opportunity to display the kindness of God. And one historian, listen to how he sums it up. As a result of the kindness of God, their deeds were on everyone's lips, and they glorified the God of the Christians. So they watched how these Christians operated during a plague. And instead of trying to run away, they tried to run into the plague and help people. Now, of course, we can't do that with social distancing, physically run into, but we might be able to do it later in a few months. We might be able to do it right now by calling people or trying to help people financially in some way. But as a result of the Christian kindness, the deeds of the Christians were on everyone's lips. And they began to glorify the God that these Christians served so here's my conclusion today. We'll include in an email uh, a list of ways you can help people in need now 
And then there'll be ongoing needs as the um, shelter-in-place requirement goes away. And, of course, it might be emotional resources you have. It might be financial resources you have. But my hope for the church globally and specifically Christ Community Church is that we are Christ Community Church. We have been planted in this community. We have made promises to this community. We have built bridges of trust over the years to schools and neighborhoods and people. And we are part of the community and we want to be the part of the community that promises to, like the naval ship Comfort, to to sail into people's lives, to find people who are hurting, and to anchor ourselves right next to them and to say... We're here to show the kindness and comfort of our God. And our hope, my hope, is that as they see that, as they experience that from me, as they experience that from you, from our church, they won't just get help. They'll glorify the God that we serve. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this day. This is a day that you have made. And it is our responsibility to rejoice and be glad in it. You are calling us to this day and we're being formed and fashioned by whatever circumstances we find ourselves in to be more like you to use this moment to display the kindness of God to others. So, Lord, would you, would you teach us? Would you humble us in this moment to realize we have far less control over things in our lives than we first thought? Would we, would we know how to lament Would you teach us to sit down and when we stand back up, not to pick some things that need to be dropped off permanently? Would you remind us of the glory of the gospel? That these things are true. And especially as we come towards Easter, you are the one that has defeated death. So we as Christians, we have no fear of that happening. For, for us to live as Christ, to die, gain. And because of that, would you empower us to anchor ourselves next to needy people? To provide comfort to display the kindness of God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.